All right, First Peter. First Peter, we're going to be in chapter 2 today. First Peter chapter 2. And um, we're going to pick it up. We'll begin reading in verse 1, but we went down to verse 3 last time. He says, Wherefore, and wherever there's a wherefore, there's a therefore, and wherever there's a therefore, there's a wherefore in your Bible. So all of chapter 1 leads up to this. And he says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice. I'm so impressed with the way the Bible says things, and I'm unimpressed with the way we tend to say things. When God wants to say all, He'll say it in such a way that we can understand if it's all is in <laughs> without exception or all without distinction. And in this passage, He's saying lay aside all, no exceptions, all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. You know, that'll keep you busy enough that you don't have to spend all your time looking at everybody else or at the world, or at the system of the world today, or the condition of the world today, or at the so-called condition of the church. Uh, I've got my hands full, okay? Following Christ, following what Paul said when he said that I may know Him. Are we aware that there's all kind of foolishness going on? Yes, but we're aware that it has always gone on, and that we will not be able to predict because he said you won't. He said that not even the son knows all the times because if he did, he loved his disciples so much he would have told them. So he said, lay that aside and then as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. So milk is a, it's a, it's a pre-digested food, so to speak. You say, oh, that sounds awful. Well, no, no, it's not awful. I didn't say it's a pre-chewed food that you somebody spits out and you get, although in some countries that's when the babies are moving from milk to food, the mothers have to do that because of the limited kind of food that has to be chewed up. But milk is a pre-digested, a pre-processed, you might say now. The modern processing, you know, has changed the value and devalued, maybe even in many ways made it toxic to people, milk. But in the Bible sense... And in the, the days when it was just, you know, real life, that milk was important and it was helpful. And when he said, as newborn babes to desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby, there's a great little lesson in the idea of it being predigested. In this sense, good teaching and preaching will help you, feed you, and it'll keep you on the gracious side of God. Because he said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. You know, it's a bad thing that people who have been saved 10, 20, 30, whatever, 40 years, don't keep growing. They don't keep growing in the, in the knowledge and the grace of Jesus Christ, as he says in 2 Peter 3 when he closes out his second epistle. But it's what God intended for you. He intended for us to grow. Now, growing as a believer has to do with, verse 1, the laying aside, and then the taking in. And I've said this to you before. People who excel at things, people who 
the, the modern word is professional. In other words, they really do well at something. They spend time looking at where they're not strong and they get input on it and they work on it. In Simon Peter's second epistle, I pointed this out, in chapter 1, he tells you to add. Add to your faith virtue, etc., etc. This is a, a lost kind of approach in the world we live in. Everybody wants things quickly for one thing. And if you grow too quickly, it's a bad thing. <clears throat> when I was a young fellow, I had uh, always good slatters in my knees. It's the name of a condition. And it was very painful. Very painful. And what happens is your bones and your leg grow faster than the tendons can stretch and ligaments. And sometimes they'll even, and I've got knots below my knee where it pulled loose. And, you know, those are, those are quite a few years ago. And uh, I can remember my grandmother did some research, talked to some people. Well, you didn't have any, any of that Internet stuff then. And she made, we made up this concoction. And, you know, it had rubbing alcohol and I think it had witch hazel. Uh, it had glycerin in it. We would grind up aspirin, di- different things, and made a solution and would put it on them, my knees, and wrap them at night so I could sleep. Well, the problem was it was an imbalance of the bones growing. Now, it didn't make me very, very tall, amen. It just grew too fast. So here's my point. You don't want to grow too fast. You don't want to try to grow people too quickly. That doesn't mean you're slowing them down, but you've got to allow the process to happen. If you happen to be a leader of anything, if if you're a parent, a, a father, a mother, remember that it's not God's way to see how fast someone can learn their alphabet or how quickly they can learn to write or how quickly, quickly, quickly. Many a uh, Christian educator tries to sell their services based upon uh, how, how much ahead your child will be from the other by the time they're in second, and third, and fourth year. Well, there's, there's no need for that. You don't hold them back, but you don't, you don't want to change God's process. And so there's parts of you that grow very quickly when you get saved. There's parts of you that, that get, you know, get cleaned up and and uh, all that kind of stuff very quickly when you get saved no doubt about that but when it comes to who you are at your core and it comes to the as he calls in second corinthians 10 you might want to just jot down second corinthians 10 when it comes to strongholds then that takes growth picture a stronghold being this we're going to move on to verse four but picture a stronghold being uh, you've got a castle, and he, Lord Jesus gives us an illustration. When a man armed keepeth his castle, in the Gospel of Luke. And so, you know, you've got protection, and you've seen the pictures, the drawings, or movies, or whatever, with the moat around it, you know, water. And then <laughs> in, the, in the extreme cases, they've got alligators. Now, if you really want them, and you've got an environment that will support them, you want crocodiles in there. But alligators will do it. Uh, been all kind of reports in the last six months, you know, alligators grabbing people and all kind of stuff in different parts of the of uh, of, of the United States and probably all over the world. Down south, in the in the down under, they got the crocodiles, saltwater crocs. They are vicious. 
So you got that protecting it. And then you got the drawbridge and all that. So a stronghold is whatever's closest to you in your identity, who you are, who you think you are. Stronghold would be a kind of a habit or a way of thinking that's going to take some real work of God's Holy Spirit, but you cooperating. And the way to move towards that constantly is by making sure that you lay aside the malice, the guile, the hypocrisies, the envies, and the evil speakings. You cannot listen to either side of all the political wrangling and jargoning and all that that's going on, jawing, okay? You can't get involved and listen to that without it uh, spoiling your attitude and spirit to some extent. Whether it bring out malice in you or guile or hypocrisies or envies, but especially evil speakings. It, it, and, and, and the right wing, so to speak, what they call themselves, they think it's okay to speak evil of the other side, but it's not okay for the other side to speak evil of them. You're not supposed to do any evil speaking, according to the Bible. That's a novel idea, isn't it? So, <clears throat> when we come to this passage now, he says, if, if so be, in verse 3, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So, that first taste, those beginning tastes, those supposed to go with us. You've probably heard me tell the story, I believe it was Anthony Zioli, was a, he would go down into the areas, uh, and many years ago, there used to be places where people would public have public discourse. And they would stand on a crate, you know, and talk, soapbox they called it. And on his way to do that one time, he would go down to this park where other people spoke, uh, the Lord told him to grab an orange. He was going by a fruit stand, said, buy that orange. And he bought it, put it in his pocket, had no idea why. And he got to preaching and talking about the Bible, and a fellow kept, you know, jawing back there, heckling. And the Lord said, pull that orange out and eat it. So in the middle of his discourse, he just pulled it out, stopped talking, peeled the orange and ate it, smacked his lips. <coughs> and he said to the fellow, he said, how was it? And the heckler in the back, standing in the crowd, says, How do I know? I didn't taste it. He said, That's the problem, my friend. The Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. So, the the whole idea is, that's out of Psalm 34. There's another reference, Psalm 109. The, the idea is that once you've tasted the Lord, that's that's when something starts happening for you. So, in verse 4, he says, To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built upon a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And I'd really like to point out something here. I, I, I believe in, in all the energy that is spent in so-called scholarism, and, and I'm not ignorant of the languages. Uh, we were required to, to take years, several years of Greek, took Hebrew language. I, I understand all that. I was looking up something that a, a guy claimed that the, his Greek New Testament said the other day, and it, it wasn't so, but someone told him it was so. But my point is this. 
when you read these writings by Simon Peter, and you read this, these statements that are going from the physical to the spiritual to the revelation, revealing of truth for the age we live in, this is not someone you'd picture as being the way people talk about, oh, he's just a commercial, he's just a fisherman, just a cussing fisherman. No. Yes, they were fishermen. There was four of those fellas. Three of them became the inner crowd, the inner circle with Jesus. But they knew a Messiah was coming. Go back and read John chapter 1. They knew He was coming. They knew to look for Him. They knew so many of the Scriptures. So the lesson is that there's not supposed to be a great Bible knowledge, Scripture knowledge of the clergy. There's supposed to be great Scripture knowledge of the Christian, of the follower, in the Old Testament, of the believer. You could have been born into Israel, or you could have been uh, someone who decided to join Israel. Okay? The term they use is proselyte. <clears throat> so the point being, as you read this, he's going... To whom coming as unto a living stone. Well, stones aren't alive. And yet Jesus said the stones would cry out if those people didn't when he entered Jerusalem. Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. And we're going to talk about that. That when you lay a foundation, especially the way they would build buildings, or today, let's just say you're laying a block foundation, you don't use a broken, cracked, or faulty block. To lay the foundation. And so when they laid foundations with stones, actual stones, there were some that were disallowed. Verse 4. He said, To whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men. They said, You can't be the Son of God. If you were of God, you would do this. And if you were of God, you wouldn't do this. You would not do this on the Sabbath. And you would do this. And you would treat us like we are because we're Pharisees and you know, we're scribes and Sadducees. And so, he was disallowed of men, the Lord Jesus, but chosen of God and precious. He also as lively stones. In other words, a stone that's alive. Okay? So, Simon Peter is giving us a physical picture, moving it into the spiritual application. This is the so-called cussing fisherman. No, he knew his Bible. And he learned more, of course, from Jesus and kept learning more. So, the picture is, as a child of God, as a Christian, we men are supposed to study the Scriptures, learn the Scriptures, live in the Scriptures, because we're Christian men. That's why. That's, that's the reason we should be doing it. So, he says, to whom coming? Who's he talking about? The Lord, in verse 3. To whom coming as unto a living stone. Now, we would be remiss if we didn't take time to go over to say Matthew 16. So we need to go there for a minute. Because there's a constant effort to try to battle the misinterpretation of Scripture that goes back right at 2,000 years. You could say maybe 16 or 1,800 years. On this thing of Simon Peter. We know that there's a thing called the Roman Catholic Church. 
And we know that they have made Peter, you know, the rock and all that. So the scholars at the seminaries, and I've sat under them, okay? Here's, here's the problem. And this is not an anti-seminary or anti-study statement. Here's the problem. In order to combat all that, they undo some truths that are clear in your Bible. Do not undo the Scriptures to try to quiet someone who has used, totally misused it and developed a heresy. Don't do that. Don't put yourself into a position where you end up denying or even hiding some of the truths of Scripture. They say, well, Simon Peter's not a rock, he's a pebble. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to read it Matthew 16, He gave Simon Peter a very special place, a very special position to hold with the apostles and with the early church. And none of that negates who Jesus Christ is, the rock, capital R, okay? And so when we go back and someone says, oh, I've got to go back and I've got to look up this root word in the Greek and this and that, there's one problem. And this is not just from a critical point of view. Here's the problem. You miss the truths. I don't need to belittle or change what Jesus said about Simon Peter in order to know that he is not the first pope. You know, Peter would have made a very, very poor pope because he's married. He's got a mother-in-law. And as one fellow said, you wouldn't purposely have a mother-in-law if you weren't married. <laughs> okay? He's got a mother-in-law that gets, gets healed. So, when we come to our Bible, Matthew 16, <clears throat> verse 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Barjona means son of Jonas. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. So your cousin fisherman gets a revelation from God. God doesn't go out giving revelations to people who, who ignore the Scriptures. He doesn't go handing them out to people who are lazy. These fellows were familiar with the Scriptures even though they did commercial fishing for a living. This is important. Butcher, baker, candlestick maker out there, then the sound of my voice, you need to learn your Bible. And you need to start with that sincere milk of the Word up there in, here in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. And sit under somebody and get around somebody who takes the Word of God and, and digests it and feeds it and and puts it out in such a way that it edifies and grows you. It doesn't grow your ego. It just grows you as a Christian. Now watch. <clears throat> Verse 18. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, comma. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee, verse 19, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charge he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So in this passage in Matthew 16, there's several things 
that he says clearly that if we'll get them clearly, it solves it. Now, you're not going to change the mind of someone who is a rabid Roman Catholic person following that doctrine. You're not going to. So don't try to change all that by changing Scripture. Ready? Here's the truth. First of all, Simon Peter is the one who ends up leading them. He's the one you find in, first, in, in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. No doubt about it. Number two, he said, Thou art Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. In this passage, there's two things that happen. And they're very, very important. Okay? And let me say this. Verses 16 down to 20, there's been a lot of bloodshed by the Catholic Church over this. We don't go shedding blood over doctrine, but they do. Now, it's a divine revelation. Because when Jesus said, comma, upon this rock, I will build my church, there's two things happening. The passage clearly appears to be that he's saying, Peter, I need you to be the foundation. I need you to be the corner of it. But I'm the cornerstone, said Simon Peter. And there's no doubt in my mind that as he's talking to him, he could have pointed right to himself and said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, the church is people, isn't it? Saved people. So it's not a building, it's an organism, yet he uses the idea of building. We know that people are like sheep, like a flock. Okay, so that's like husbandry. But he also uses building. So the picture is that a building is only as strong as it's, it's only as laid out as its cornerstone, is only as strong as its foundation. So when he speaks to Simon Peter there, let's just say, for example, he is pointing to himself. Now, there's a lot of verses, and, and we should run a few here, okay? I'm not trying to just run you all over the place, but there is, there is a, an established, clear teaching. You've heard me say this before. There's clear teaching, there's consideration, and there's conjecture. That clear teaching is what you want as your foundation. You might come across something in your Bible and consider it, but I would have very, very small doses of that and smaller doses of conjecture. So what I'm giving you is not conjecture. He did set up Simon Peter that way. And he did say, Simon, you know, you've been a little uh, here and there, extreme, unstable, but I'm going to stable you. I'm going to settle you because I need you. I've chosen you to be this, this role in the early church. But he didn't build the church on Simon Peter. He built it on himself. Let's, uh, let's, let's go to run a few references. Ephesians chapter 2. These will be in the epistles here. Ephesians chapter 2. Now we're going to make reference to uh, going all the way back to Deuteronomy. Okay? In just a minute here. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, <clears throat> here's why this is important. Remember what I said a few minutes ago. Simon Peter is giving us spiritual insight and using a physical or you might say an earthly illustration, an earthly picture, okay? So we are supposed to understand that we'll let God give us this picture. And you don't have to have done building. Now, it's been my lot in life to be around a lot of construction, a lot. 
a lot of building, a lot of different kinds, say, of foundations. Where it's sandy, they, a lot of times they'll build what they used to call, I don't know what they call them now, uh, they call them a floating foundation. It literally sits, you, you, you make it in such a way that when you pour that slab and it comes over the edges, it floats, you might say, on that sand so that it, it doesn't respond immediately to changes and cause all kind of cracks and, and that kind of thing. You have others that you've got to go way down and get them solid. And you, sometimes you, you dig down a long ways and you pour what we used to call pillars. There's different names for them. You, we pour pillars and then those pillars would come up and they would then be part of the foundation we would prepare and pour. And then there's places where you run, those, you run posts down, pill, uh, steel pillars, for example, way down. And then the foundation is on those. The point is you have a foundation. The point is you have something for it to build on. So, Ephesians 2, <clears throat> verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. Okay, so there was a time when you weren't saved, when you weren't part of anything that had to do with God. And then in the Old Testament, we know that the people, the spiritual Israel, was God's people. You could become a proselyte and, and join up with them. You've got two women in the line of Christ that were not Jews by nature. So we were strangers and foreigners, but we're not that anymore. Verse 19, we're fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now watch. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So understand that God did build the early church on Simon Peter and the apostles, and then he built it on the prophets too. But who is the chief cornerstone? Now, the chief cornerstone, without going into a whole long sermon on it, but the chief cornerstone is what determines how everything else comes out. It's your starting point. It's your reference point. You ever seen children do stuff when you're kids? You ever try to build something or stick pieces of wood together or do whatever, or, you know, a clubhouse or something, and, and it, it doesn't come out square 99% of the time, huh? Why? You've got to have that one thing. Uh, when you're building, many times, that very first pin you set, and each day you put your transom on it. Nowadays, of course, you've got the, we've got laser levels and stuff we use, but you put that on there, and what happens is that determines everything. If you've ever seen surveyors out there on the, on the road, on the highway, in the field, they are taking and using geometry and trigonometry and stuff to use those angles and get things square and in reference to each other. Now, this, this has an application. Just hear me out. The reason it has to be Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone, is because He is the only one. He is the only perfect one. There was nothing in His personality as the incarnate Son of God. There's nothing in His teachings. There's nothing in His ways that are off even a hundredth of a degree. Okay? That's real important. We're not built upon... Simon Peter being the chief cornerstone. 
But we are built upon the foundation of. Look, are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In whom, Christ, all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So it's a building, but it's people. The great danger for us as Gentiles, as Japhethites for the most part, you might say, uh, you've got Ham, Sham, and Japheth, so you've got Ham and you've got Japheth, and, and we don't think like the Easterners. <coughs> and of course, out of that, out of those Shemites, comes who? Comes Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Okay, So we don't as a whole, as Westerners, think in spiritual terms like this. But this is a really spiritual book. So a spiritual book will take the earthly, the physical, and translate it into something that you apply on a human level and a spirit level. That is, to me, one of the most fascinating things about the Bible. So this building is fitly framed together. Just come over two pages or whatever it is in your Bible to chapter 4 for a minute. Chapter 4. In verse 11 down a little bit, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness. You know, every time I think about the slight of men, slight of hand, I think about guys who were card mechanics. I knew a guy, I was only in sixth grade and he was trying to teach me how to manipulate cards, you know, how to cheat at cards. And man, he was good. You could not see what he was doing with those cards. His hands were, were just so quiet and yet very deceptive. Cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. Watch. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. So he's giving you a physical body picture. In 1 Corinthians 3, he gives you a master builder picture. He said, I've laid the foundation and then Christ's foundation and as a wise master builder. There's nothing like something that's been built by a wise master builder. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. He is. No doubt about it. In 1 Corinthians 10.4, he said, and did all drink of the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock. In your, in your English text, it's capitalized R that follow them, that rock, capital R, was Christ. Okay? Over there, if you, you ought to mark this down, Deuteronomy, and take time to look at it, Deuteronomy chapter 32. It's gonna, it, and this is why when he mentions the rock, those who'd been in the Scriptures, like Simon Peter, those who'd been in the Scriptures understood that the Lord Jesus was giving them insight. Deuteronomy 32, 30. How should one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight except their rock, capital R, had 
<coughs> sold them, and the Lord shut them up. For their rock is not as our rock, capital R. Even our enemies themselves being judges. Their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their cr- clusters are bitter. Their wine is a poison of dragons their, and the cruel venom of ass. <coughs> He's giving them that contrast. We learn things by contrast, comparison, and then repetition. <coughs> so Matthew 16, he says, in Matthew 16, he says this, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You say, well, I don't understand that. It's pretty simple. If, you, if a person is not saved, if they're lost, John 3, he that believeth not is what? If you remember your Bible a bit or go look it up, it's, it's condemned already. We would say, in our modern speaking, as good as in hell with the door shut. <clears throat> so we don't go into hell, but we storm the gates of hell by going after souls. See, this is why it's so important to just get it right from the beginning. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll take a couple more minutes on this particular session. 1 Peter chapter 2. So, <clears throat> Simon Peter's writing, and he's giving us some great insight. Okay? So we've got the Lord Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. We've got the idea that now we understand spiritual sacrifices. We understand... <clears throat> and by the way, He's the chief cornerstone where the Jew and the Gentile come together. And so now there's three people. There's Jew, there's Gentile, there's the Church of God. Not a denomination, but saved people. So when we're doing that, we start understanding what He's doing. So he says in verse five, verse 4, to, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and of precious. Your beliefs from Scripture, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone to build upon. It's the starting point of life. Now get this. Your life starts with Jesus Christ. You know, 30, 40 years ago, I guess, the bumper sticker was popular, Jesus is the answer. And I like what one fellow said. He said, okay, if Jesus is the answer, what is the question? And I think that believers sometimes forget that, that the question is, can, can true life, eternal life, start anywhere else but with Jesus Christ? It cannot start with a church. It cannot start with a denomination. <clears throat> it doesn't start with Simon Peter. It doesn't start with taking the sacraments. It starts with Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone. So when he says, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, understand that for the most part, the average human being on earth right now does not accept Jesus Christ as being the chief cornerstone, the foundation of life and eternal life and eternity and even of the the existence of the world in which we live in and the earth we live on. They don't. It's disallowed. There are thousands upon thousands of ways in which people explain away the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and his earthly life. Does that make him not who he was? Nope. So when the Lord Jesus Christ said that they had made the Word of God of none effect, he didn't, they hadn't changed the Word of God. They couldn't. But they had changed it in the sense of trying to make it not of an effect. And in their life, it had no effect. I have a little saying I've used for years, for decades. If you know you oughta, you oughta. If you know you better, you better. And we know this today. I mean, doctors will take you and they'll say you ought to do this. And doctors say you ought to do that. And that's up to you to decide <coughs> what it is you ought to do. But I know this. If you know better, you better. Well, it's the same way with the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you get some light, you know it's Him. You know it. But He's disallowed of men as a whole. But he's chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house. So the thing that I I just I never tire of reading the scriptures and I never tire of tire of looking at the fact that that we have a visible yet a yet an unseen life in God. And this world we live in takes on this whole new meaning, every bit of it. Even when you are building something, repairing something, fixing something, you see the hand of God in all the design and all that, but you also realize there is a spiritual aspect to life, all of life. And it's so much so that he said, Whatsoever you do, do hardly ask to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord... You shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ, Colossians 3. In other words, like the Easterners, where Westerners burn out on capitalism and they burn out on materialism, and so they go to the East to try to find meaning and they sit and they meditate. We have something that leaves all of that for dead because we got the real thing. We have something that's tangible and physical, and yet it's actually spiritual. It's both. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now what we're going to do, we're going to pick up verse 5 because we need to look at this thing about this unholy priesthood. This is really important. Boy, you talk about people get off. I have heard some of the wildest things where people took that term and and they, I, I've seen them, and they do it. They do it today. They do it in denominations. They do it in the Roman Catholic Church. They'll dress up as priests. And <clears throat> No, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. But you've got to know how that translates into this world today if you're going to understand how God works and not get off on some wild tangent. Okay? So let's do this. We're almost to the end of it. We'll stop here. We'll we'll, uh, close the word of prayer and then we'll pick this up next time. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we pray thee that uh, you take the words we've said and use them. More than anything, you use them to apply to our lives and our understanding of thee. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you.